This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. If you've seen a Home Depot, Kia, Delta Faucet, P.F. Chang's, or a Yeti commercial, you've seen Mark Thomas's work. A professional photographer who started scouting locations for additional work soon found himself behind the video camera. Always a team player, he became one of the best in the business at 24 frames a second. I always say show up early and stay late. You just got to be in it, be a part of it, be aware of your surroundings. For me, the biggest thing was really telling myself, listen, it's not all about me. This job is not going to fall short just because of me. So if I stick with the team, we're all going to be a success. If I believe in the people I'm working with, we're going to be successful. And it's always turned out to be that way. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from Emmy winners, college professors, authors, farmers, and Hall of Fame baseball coach George Horton. I get parents out of the equation. I love parents, but I'm teaching them how to be their own men. If they're leaning on their parents to do their laundry, do their banking, to do their appointments, to ask the coach about playing time, they're not growing up. The rest of my conversation with George can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor before diving into my conversation with Mark Thomas. I am excited that I got Mr. Thomas on the podcast today. How are you, sir? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Like I said before we started, um, the way I found you was was super interesting working on that video for Yeti that you had with Wyman that once I saw your name in the credit and I did some bio research and I found another brookie, I was like, oh, I'm having this guy on. We're a dying breed. (laughs) Right on. Thanks. How, How, I mean, you're bio and your your body of work is so interesting it's really you're like in that like i said that sweet spot of generation where you you went to brooks to become a photographer correct correct yeah and and that's not how you are ending your career which is fascinating no not at all like i think i've had a very fortunate career i i think just the way you know, when I went to go for one thing and it led me to another. So, uh, yeah, it's been really, really interesting. How in did you sense. find photography? Where did that snap for you? Well, uh, I, I got interested in photography, I think, when I was like probably 12 years old. Okay. Uh, my dad had these cameras. He, my dad was in the Air Force. He did a lot of trips to Japan and back and stuff like that. And he'd always have these cameras and I picked them up and I, I like just wandering around the neighborhood, going into the woods, taking pictures and stuff like that. And it was just kind of time spent by myself. And then, uh, so I always had a fascination about, you know, not only the image, but the technical part. I, I like the hardware, the camera, you know, figuring out the exposures and stuff like that. So it was just something that I latched on to right away. And, uh, 
you know, of course, when I started going to concerts, I loved taking my camera to concerts and show my friends and all the pictures. So I would get accolades from that. And, you know, it was just kind of a cool thing. Right. That I, I was a part of. And uh, so I started with that. And then I got in when I once I got into high school and they offered a photography course, I had a really great instructor who was uh, very enthusiastic about it, very encouraging and stuff like that. And that's when I first got into uh, the dark room and, mm. you know, to, to actually make that first 35 millimeter contact print and see it come up in the developer. I, I was just hooked from, from that point on and, uh, and just really wanted to uh, figure out how to, how to make this work. And for, for my career, I knew this is what I wanted to do. Plus I always love traveling. You know, we moved around all the time as a kid and I loved the new experiences. I wasn't afraid of it and all of that. So the combination, you know, I was like, well, photography could allow me to keep traveling. So it was one or the other, but it just so happened to be both. And uh, so while I was in high school, that's when I first learned about Brooks Institute and the fact that um, there was a, a specialized photography school and the fact that it was also accredited, which made my parents comfortable, <laughs> you know, uh, I, it was something that I could do. So I applied and got accepted. And Where were you living I, at the uh, time? I was living in San Antonio, okay. Texas. So halfway across yeah. the country for you to that god-awful place, uh, Santa Barbara. Oh, such a dump. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I, I had taken a trip out there uh, beforehand in advance to just kind of check out the school and, and stuff. And uh, uh, just, you know, the beach, the palm trees, uh you, you know, the whole thing, I was really excited. And then I, I didn't have a car or whatever. And I remember having to take a bus part with, as far as I could go to get to the campus in Montecito and then walking up there. I was just like, this is unreal. You know, this place. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, did you drive or fly into LAX? How did you get to Southern California? I, I was road tripping. Whoa. I'm, Oh yeah, I had a little Subaru uh two four cylinder two <laughs> two door or whatever and just yeah. her out to uh California. Oh and, man, uh, that must have been know. a road trip and a half. That must have been so much fun. Oh, I loved it. You know, cuz it's all the west west part of the United States. So yeah. that was always one of my favorite trips. Yeah, and then going so, up the uh, 101 and rolling into Santa Barbara and the Early, yeah. but you probably go in late seventies. Oh, that must have been magical. Oh, oh, it was God. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. If you had the Beach Boys playing, it would have been perfect. <laughs> right. Jesus. I can't. I had to have been the Eagles at that. Yeah, point. or there yeah, you go. The, yeah. the Eagles, Jackson Brown, uh -huh, little Hotel of, California is a roll, <laughs> roll in the exactly. Galita. <laughs> exactly. God. So, uh, 
So yeah. So I, mom and dad uh, were good. You go to you're going to an accredited school and go to accredited school. I got some. I uh, was able to get some loans, and I was working. You know, so mm-hmm. I made it happen that way. Right. Uh, yeah. Was so I, then I got the Brooks. Yeah. What? Who? What, do you remember who the uh, high school teacher was? Who was that influential person? Yeah, that was Mr. Tanner. Mr. Tanner. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so what was what was his enthusiasm that just lit that fire that you didn't know existed underneath you? Well, it was mostly encur- he was encouraging. You know, he wouldn't say do it this way or do it that way. He was just like, golly, Mark, <laughs> that is just really some peculiar looking work there. And you got to keep going, you know. He was very southern. You know? I remember he'd always, it'd be a red filter, a green filter, and a yaller filter. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, don't, uh, I don't think I've ever seen that one in the, uh, you know, yeah. the Adorama catalog, the yaller filter. Exactly, the yaller filter. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he taught woodworking also, and all, he was a all-around uh, shop class teacher you know but he was just a great guy yeah see that's that's the kind of teacher every student needs in high school that person that just will help you find what you're looking for it was positive reinforcement and uh and actually actually i'm gonna uh, i'm i'm gonna have to include my uh journalism teacher as well because uh you know, in, in high school, there was the, uh, not only the yearbook, but the, I get, was it a newspaper? Yeah, probably or, a school newspaper. Some, yeah. yeah. We had that, yeah. So, you know, uh, she, she was I, Mrs. Watley, maybe, okay. something like that. But, you know, it was just, it was a place for positive reinforcement you know see think and, about uh, that you remember those two names but you probably can't remember your algebra teacher you your u.s history oh God, teacher no. oh your God, earth no. science teacher but mr tanner and his yeller you got that right up on your heart like you know him for oh, sure for sure for sure uh, yeah so, so were you a little worried about brooks being a commercial school or was commercial the photography you wanted to get into uh, no, I, I always fancied myself, you know, like probably 99% of the photographers out there, I was going to work for National Geographic, you know, okay. and I was going to go out there, travel the world and have a, a couple of 35 millimeters slung around my neck. And, uh, there I was, there right. I was yeah. you know, kind of a thing. And, uh, so I, I got into it. I, I would, I would look for those kind of opportunities at Brooks, but, you know, I really wanted to learn the ins and outs of photography, build, right. build my skill set, uh, know what I was talking about, uh, be able to accomplish a, a lot of different kind of assignments that might come my way and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I love learning about how cameras worked and, you know, we were doing four by five at the time and, uh, you know, all of that. And, uh, what, what was your, again. when you saw that four by five camera for the first time, what were you thinking? I was, 
I was pretty jazzed about it. I was, of course, intimidated and everything. Uh, it's not anything I'd ever, I'd never had my hands on one before. Right. It wasn't until I actually had to, you had to buy your own camera when mm-hmm. you were out there. So it wasn't until I actually purchased one and brought it back to my apartment and set it all up and everything that I was like, oh, man. I cannot wait to get going with this. <laughs> it's, you know, it's interesting. Like those cameras your dad was bringing home from from you know Asia are one thing. Yeah. Now, all of a sudden, you know, you get this big wood field camera, this thing, right. this monster, and you're yeah. like, "Whoa, this is nothing like those Olympus or Minolta or Nikon, anything that he's ever brought home. This is this is a yeah. thing. This is unbelievable." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And also, it's, it's like, well, if this is the tool I'm going to have to work with, I got to I got to figure out how to manage this. Yes, but you know, at the same time, some some people once they got into four by five, then they they just stayed in in that four by five world and stuff. But I always gra- always would gravitate back to thirty five millimeter. Yeah. That was always my tool of choice. Right. And, uh, I did love, uh, learning about four by five and, you know, how how to learn to manipulate focus, Mm -hmm. manipulate perspective and stuff like that. So a lot of, of course, a lot of things you learn about, uh, four by five is applying that when you have other tools you have to work with. So, um, that that's about as far as I, I think once trying to think once I got out of my first year, uh, no, that's not true. But anyway, generally speaking, I was more of a 35 guy than I was four by five. Okay. You, you were know. there 79 to 82. Uh, correct. I I'm a little vague on the years. Okay. You know, um, do you remember? But, a, yeah, it sounds about right. Do you remember a classmate, Ken Steinhardt? He had a stutter. Oh, if you put a, I never forget a face. Okay, I'm not great on names. Okay. Uh, I'd have to look at my class photo. I just thought uh, about it. He's a dear friend of mine. He lives just okay. a couple miles away. He went to Brooks. I think he graduated '83. Okay. He's a Wisconsin yeah. kid. He came out, but he has a, uh, a, he has a stutter. So, okay. Yeah. So um, I, the class, I, I, I went one full year at Brooks and then I had to take time off to, uh, go back home and earn some money. Right. Me, I went back to San Antonio and, uh, <laughs> by earning money, I bagged groceries at the uh, commissary on base. Okay. Uh, for, you know, basically one quarter a bag at the time. And that was one way I, I applied some of that to yeah. uh, getting through school. Well, but yeah. anyway, I took a little bit of time off, so I didn't graduate with the same class I started okay. with. Yeah, and that's typical. So, I remember... Yeah. I remember people saying if you graduated from Brooks, well, I was, you know, there, if you graduated from Brooks, you weren't very successful because if you were super good, they would have plucked you out and gone to New York or Miami or, you know, you'd have been off to Nordstrom's or Bullock's or somewhere and shot their catalog. Yeah. And I was always like, wait a minute, they're, they're, they don't want you to graduate? They're trying to get you out of here early? Well, <laughs> you know, I remember hanging out, uh, you know, at the Montecito 
campus sometimes and and there were like rumors that Joseph Karsh was here yes. uh, uh, interviewing students and stuff or uh, Jay Silverman was up from LA talking to students and stuff like that and I'm like wow this is a really serious school you know because I, I would you know I was really into uh, the history of photography okay. also and and, uh, you know, love other photographers' work and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, to hear those names be in your neighborhood, it was like, wow, this is really going to happen. But we'll we'll get to it later on in my story. But that was like the beginning, you know. So are you Um, thinking that as school's ending, you're getting towards the end, like where you were going to go, your early career, were you thinking what? Where was Mark going to land? I was, you know, I'll be honest with you. By the time I graduated, I really hadn't a clue how I was going to make a living in photography because – I will say one of the drawbacks, and they did try, but I one of the things I did not find was how to how to run a successful photography business. There what there wasn't enough of the uh, business side, you know, business side yeah. of it. Like what what if you're going to open up a studio? You know, how are you going to run it? How do you ma- manage that? How much do you need to make it run? You know, that kind of stuff. So, Well, it's funny. You um, say stuff, but we don't realize how super important that is. Because if, oh yeah. if you're blind to it and you don't yeah. end up working for FedEx and having a nine-to-five photo job for them and getting a yeah. pension and a retirement and you're on the yeah. freelance life your whole time, it is yeah. a lot of loss. I mean, you are yeah. wandering around for a very long time. Right. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to go to my small, you know, I didn't have a small hometown to go back to and open up a portrait studio and be that guy Mm -hmm. uh, who was the photographer in town. Uh, I I wasn't, you know, I was kind of interested in magazines and there was that. I was probably more interested in editorial at the time, but still, how do I get my foot in the door? You know, how, how do what kind of portfolios are they requiring? That kind of stuff. So th- there wasn't enough, I think, uh, you know, I, I'm not trying to dismiss it, but there were very few teachers who had come from mm-hmm. the uh, working profession and were, sh- were showing us how to, how to do this. A lot of them were just, you know, familiar with being instructors let me let you in uh, on a little secret (laughs) that's still happening today (laughs) yeah yeah i can imagine i can imagine there's so many so there's so little of that being taught today and there's so much more freelancing today than ever before as you know and yet these kids don't understand taxes business business write-offs business plans and proposals everything that means something at the end of the year when your accountant wants to see your numbers and you've got nothing but a couple of receipts and a parking slip. <laughs> like, exactly. 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 You're like, so what did you do for a year? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. So, you know, I didn't really have a definitive answer of where I was going to go and where I was going to end up. So, uh, you know, I, I had to leave Santa Barbara. There wasn't going to be, uh, I wasn't going to work there. Uh, you know, so I ended up going back to San Antonio and it just so happened that I, I landed a job. I was an in-house photographer for a big insurance company, uh, USAA. And, oh, okay. uh, yeah. And it was two of us in the graphics department, uh, two photographers and we kind of ran the whole thing. And, you know, so every skill I learned in Brooks, uh, played there, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, we, we ran a lab in there. We, we shot, uh, all kinds of executive portraits. Uh, we weren't doing the, uh, broken bones or car wrecks. It was just right. their internal stuff, Corporate. Ma- their internal magazine, mm-hmm. their newspaper and stuff like that. So it was a great place to just land, you yeah. know, uh, for the time being. But I'll, I'll never forget that when I sat down for my uh, first interview, when I got the job, the guy was talking to me and he was saying, you know, this is the, your salary to start out, and uh, in 20 years' time, you'll be making this much and stuff like that. And I went, whoa, wait a minute, back off. You know what I'm doing in 20 years? I don't want anybody to tell me what I'm doing in 20 years and, or what I'm making. or anything. This is way too planned out for me. So in the back of my mind, I knew I wasn't going to last there, you know. So... Uh, what happened was uh, while I was working there, I think it was like eight or nine months into that job, uh, a, f- a good buddy of mine from high school was getting married in Connecticut, and he asked me to be in the wedding. So I went to Connecticut to be in the wedding, and some of my friends from uh, college at Brooks were in New York City assisting mm-hmm. photographers. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, that's really interesting. You know, I'm going to go down and uh, just visit them, say hi, and, you know, catch up and see what they're doing. So I went, after the wedding, I went to Manhattan and hooked up with my friends. And, oh, my God, they took me on a couple of uh, uh, location shoots. Uh, uh, My friend was working for Avedon. My other friend, she was working for Barbara Bordnick, my other friend, you know, and they were just working with all these name photographers that I just studied at Brooks. And I went, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I have to be in New York. This is where I need to be. So I uh, got back, gave notice (laughs) at USAA and said, Thanks. It's been real, but I'm out of here. Uh, and I went to New York and, uh, they didn't say, wait, uh, we got your 20 year plan all settled for you. Where are you going? Like 20, yeah. <laughs> Where are you going? Mark, you come back. Reached your one year milestone, <laughs> but you know, they, it's a great company. Oh, and yeah. They were great people and all that kind of stuff. It was Listen, really as your experience. first job. I mean, that's a good job, oh, right? You, you, you exactly. got stuff, you're grinding. It's, you got things to yeah. do. There's worse places you could be for God, for sure. Oh yeah, exactly. But when your heart so, calls and you see what's happening in New York, 
you're going to go. Yeah. Right. Wow. And, uh, so I went there, uh, my friends said, you know, you can just stay with us until you get it settled down. And so did you pack up the Subaru and win? (laughs) No, no car. I sold everything. I I wasn't going to take a car to New York. I knew that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, You were smart enough to, to not show up with a car. So they said, you can stay with us temporarily. And, uh, I ended up, Poor, poor guys uh, sleeping on their couch for a year and a half, you know, <laughs> in a one bedroom apartment, you know. Uh, but I, the uh, I started working right away for people, and uh, I started doing location work a lot. So I was hardly ever in New York, uh, as it turns out. So it worked until it didn't work anymore. Right. So, uh, was but, that um, was that time though? Was that first year in New York? Was that super just like energized to your soul? I mean, to be around all those people and photographers and the hustle and bustle. It, it was. I think about it now, and uh, it was so different because New York is like it, all all the people. Most of the people I ever wanted to meet, study, work for or be around or whatever, they were all in New York. And I, I would literally open up the phone book and their name would be in the phone book, like uh, Mary Ellen Mark. Right. You know, I remember looking her up in the phone book, the number and calling her up and asking her for work. You know, it was like, and she answered the phone, you know, there was no call waiting or, caller ID or anything like that. Most of the time they answer the phone. Hi, this is Mary. And, uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did I wake you up? But, you know, I'm a little eager. Uh, yeah, you did wake me up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but they were available to work with. So she was generous. You know, she invited me down to her Soho loft and, uh, we met and talked and I, I, I never worked for it. It never happened, but, it was that kind of environment, you know, you could just meet your idols. My, my roommate in this small apartment, my roommate was, uh, uh, Rudy Hoffman and he was, uh, Avedon's first assistant the whole time I was there, you know? So, uh, that name sounds familiar. How long did they work uh, together for? Oh, years and years and years. He did all the, uh, uh, Western project, yes! the American West yes! series. He was his printer, and Matt, we used to have those four by six inch, inch four by six foot prints in that apartment. While his wife would spot tone those, no, Mark, she would no. spot these prints, and they were just laying on our floor. Oh my God. Uh, it was, it's just unbelievable, you know? So I was, I was there the whole time that he was working on that series. Oh. And, uh, you know, just again, you know, the, there was reverence for uh, Avedon, but you didn't really know it was going to become this gigantic right. thing. I mean, otherwise you, know? you would have stolen four or five of those prints. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good lord. So, uh, uh, 
I can you only know. imagine what those prints go for today. I don't even want to look it up and know because uh, oh. I wouldn't. Yeah, oh. I, I don't either. But anyway, again, it was that kind of environment, and uh, um, that's beautiful, and, though. That's just beautiful. You know, it was just really, really uh, a great time, oh. you know, to be able to do that. And this was in the '80s, so. You know, 80s music, new wave, punk rock, all of that kind of stuff. There was a real New York energy at the time. I think it was, you know, just one of the best places to be in the world at the time. And uh, you had, uh, you know, new artists uh, coming up. uh, Basquet. Uh, I don't right. know if you know him. Oh, yes. You, yes. You know, I worked with a photographer, Richard Corman, who photographed him. Mm-hmm. So I was meeting him. Uh, same photographer. Uh, Madonna, we shot Madonna before her first album came out mm-hmm. when she was living in the Lower East Side. Who's this? You know, she's going to be a big star. Watch, you know, yeah. watch. And now, you know, it was just kind of, I knew them when, right. so, to, so to speak. Yeah, you knew them when they yeah. just came in to you know have a picture taken. Wow. Yeah. We're- but that was that was really the place where, you know, you'd go into a studio and uh, like Phil Marco, uh, you know, real famous tabletop photographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and plus he was getting into shooting film commercials then. But it was it wasn't this loosey goosey photographer, you know, kind of guy. It was a, it was a factory. It was a workshop. It was people's careers that were, uh, being, uh, done there and, and everything. And, uh, so you knew that, you know, you were learning that this was a real profession and there was a real way of working and there were roles to be played. Uh, wow. You, you know, um, think, things like that, you know, learning the job of the photographer, the job of, I first heard about producers. I first heard about first assistants, second assistants, location managers, art directors, uh, all that kind of stuff that go into the business of photography, you know. That, um, I mean, so, so special. So special. Were you taking, yeah. were you, were you one of those guys? Did you keep your camera close to you and make pictures of New York uh, during the day? During no, the, time? That, I, the kind of, I, that was kind of a faux pas in my day. Okay. You, you, you never brought your own camera to another photographer's set, you know, and unless you were asked to shoot alongside, you know, second camera mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, uh, so never, I never had behind the scenes or, or any of that kind of stuff. I, I, I tried to stay, you know, right to the direction job. of the photographer. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mark's there to exactly. do a job and damn it. We want those sandbags from there to there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because nowadays exactly. everybody's got behind the scenes. They got this damn phone and everybody's oh, shooting. 4k video and taking pictures and posting on Instagram and, and they're not, yeah. And they're not remembering they have a job to do. Well, I, exactly. And, uh, I tell you what, that used to be when social media first 
came out on, you know, using the phones and stuff like that, uh, it was hard to uh, get people to pay attention to your set because a lot of the times, you know, they think there was time in between setups or something like that and they'd be on their phone and then all of a sudden they're just caught up in their phone and they're not doing their job so well even the producer or the art director or the creative director they're they're on set all of a sudden you look over and there's five suits and they're all on their phones in meetings or prepping or doing something else and you're like why are you here what what are you doing the food's not that good what the hell are you doing on set get the hell out of here (laughs) right yeah exactly can you Uh, can you imagine though there was a lot of can you uh, imagine though though mark in your time if you had taken selfies with all those people you ran across, what a oh my gosh! What a selfie would have looked like with a young unknown Madonna or Batiste or any of those people with Abaddon yeah, with Mary. Exactly. Yeah, oh my god! You could have done a book yeah. on just those people. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Mark's coffee well, it's, table. It's really, it's it's fun to hear. hear uh, the other stories from the photographers about those shoots and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like, like now, uh, I, um, you know, people want to hear what it was like back then and stuff like that. So I read a lot of, on Facebook from the, those photographers telling, you know, the, telling the story behind the scene about that, those shoots and stuff like that. And I, yeah, that's that's the way it was. That's yeah, totally different insight. time. I mean, people don't understand the amount of time you used to be able to get with people where now you're mm-hmm. lucky if you get 10 minutes, 15 minutes, where you could have gotten two hours, two days. Um, yeah. it, it could have gone on forever. Like I had Greg Gorman on. And he was talking mm. about how he would have people for like he had Bowie for a full day, just hanging out with Bowie for, and then they would go out to dinner yeah. and they would still go after another three or four more hours after that till four in the morning. I'd be like, right. what the hell did you and David do? And he goes, we just would shoot and David would have an idea and then he would have tried on this and then he would do that. And I'd be like, yeah, my it was a real collaboration oh. between the artists both artists, right? Right. Both yeah. artists. And that's what I think people forget. You know, you yeah. are an artist and you're working with another one. And there's this synergy, this thing you're trying to create real you know, intimate moments yeah. and make these things. It's not like I just come in and yeah. tell you to sit right. down on my Apple box and look to the left. I mean, that's not how it works. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what I love about stories about those kind of artists, how creative they were and, and, you know, they had something to say about the image or or they were just more interested in exploring an idea than what what's this going to do to my brand? You know, right. yeah. we're yes. so protective about our image now, right. um, it seems like, you know, where you have your handlers who are uh, actually, you know, telling yes. you yes. how to do this. Oh God! I've seen a little bit of that. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure. When when were you starting to feel you were ready to put yourself behind the camera? Well, uh, I, um, you know, I I spent five years in in New York, and that just flew by. Uh, 
I wasn't, I, I never felt like I was going to be a true New Yorker. Uh, you know, it wasn't my hometown. I wanted to, I still wanted to explore some other areas and stuff like that. So I ended up moving out to uh, San Francisco and um, wow, you're and just hitting all the spots. <laughs> hitting Jeez. all the spots, wow. exactly. <laughs> so I moved out to San Francisco, and uh, and there I started getting into a little bit more of the production side of photography. Uh, I was doing uh, location scouting, uh, uh, producing, and stuff like that, only because it was it would pay a few bucks more, uh, you know, so I, I would, okay, I'm going to go out to San Francisco. This is where I'm going to make my mark. In the meantime, I'll do some location scouting and, uh, some producing for photographers and, and stuff like that while I work on my book. Now, uh, was that a call? Was that like, was that in your front of your mind to say, okay, I can widen my my palette here by taking these producer jobs or location jobs, or was it purely like I need Mark needs to get paid? Uh, it was a, a little bit of both. I, I did, I had done some location work. I, I worked for a uh, photographer, Dick Durrance for many, many years. And he was a pretty high end commercial uh, photographer, yes. big budget stuff traveling around the world, uh, you know, my heart's getting warm, um, Mark, you saying these names, (laughs) (laughs) I haven't Uh, heard these names in so long. So he was throwing me out there, you know, to go out and do these locations and stuff like that. So I had a little bit of experience and and I kind of liked the location work because I could just be out on my own, you know, and I was, uh, working on my, I guess in retrospect now, you know, how, how to approach a location. Right. Uh, you know, if, if this were me, how, what, how would, what are the angles here? What's the lighting like and stuff like that. And so that was another process of my development and mm-hmm. all of that. And I, I like the location work and, um, I was keeping pretty busy with that. So, the uh so it was a little bit of both of the money and the uh experience right Again, I mean, that's great I was, experience I, I was dragging my feet i think on the photography part of it for some reason i you know in retrospect when i look at it you know why did it take like five six seven years before i did anything uh but anyway it'll probably make sense later right as we Sure. But, uh, but that's really kind of a little bit more, but that's kind of like the majority of photographers. It's never like right out of the gate, bang, you know, you get out of college and you're a legend there's work and there's a bit of a grind oh, yeah. and there's assisting and, and like being yeah. that location or doing small production producing or scouting stuff that actually makes you better because then when you come onto a set or a scene, you could be like, I understand what my production guy's telling me. He's yeah. just, he's just not yeah. yanking my chain and pulling me from here to there. I understand exactly right, right. what he means. Yeah. I mean, I, I was doing small jobs for little magazines and catalogs and right. stuff like that here and there, but it wasn't the majority of my time, you know? And, uh, 
and I was getting a lot of mileage off of this location scouting. I, um, you probably I mean, had no idea there was that much work. I didn't. And that was just, you know, that was just on the still side. I hadn't even gotten into the film business yet. Right. You know, so, um, that whole other world. Yeah. I'm, I'm still in stills world <laughs> at this point, you, you know, and, uh, uh, so anyway, um, well, how so long do you stay I, in I Frisco? I was there. Well, at that time I was there another six or seven years. Okay. I think was about that amount of time. And, um, but that, that's when I started getting introduced to the film business. I had done a job with another photographer, uh, DeWitt Jones, and he was another National Geographic photographer from days gone by. And uh, we were doing a campaign for United Airlines, and it was the whole uh, Asian flight route. You know, it, we started in like Korea and went all the way down to Australia, just shooting for United Airlines and back. And we did this a couple of times. So I, I was game. I had some experience in Asia. So one day I get a call from this, uh, producer from a film production company. And I, I don't even know what a film production company is, you know, at this point, <laughs> Uh, I mean, really, right? Yeah, and uh, they they go. We heard you uh, uh, have done some work in Asia. We need a scout to go uh, to Thailand and Hong Kong. Do you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll go back. You know, I just it was just like a few months later that I get this call and I go, yeah, I want to go back. So I. They fly me back out there, and I'm going around scouting, you know. And this is like this whole big film crew that's going to be arriving from, it was for Northwest Airlines, a uh, really big director, M Michael Work, uh, big production company. Anyway, I get out there, and I do this job, and the director loves the work and everything like that. And uh, I get back to uh, the U.S. and they just started hiring me after that. So all of a sudden, I made a switch from uh, stills to film. And I'm in this film world all of a sudden as a location scout. But I, I, I was thinking to myself many years afterwards, and it's kind of funny uh, – you know, I, the director would look at pictures and he'd go, you know, can a, can we get a dolly through this doorway or whatever? And I'm thinking to myself, what the hell is a dolly, you know? I think back at this now, this is a, a director top of this, you know, internationally renowned director. I have no business. So I thought to myself, if I knew then what I knew now, I wouldn't have taken the, that job. You know, I would have been too scared or told myself I was unqualified or whatever, but because I didn't know and I just did it my way, 
it worked out and um we are, I made a go of it, you know, it just happened, you know, so that was like one of those really lucky breaks, I think, uh, sure. For me, yeah. You know, so, uh, um, tell me this, because yeah. this is your location scout, a scout before the internet, when you start and it's before digital. So could you tell me what did, what did it all entail? Were you taking notes? Were oh, you taking God. Polaroids? Okay. Cause it's a, you know, it's much yeah. different, you know, as in today, if you and I went to go location scout, than it would be pre-digital internet. The the way location scouting worked back then was you'd go out and you'd, and you'd shoot print film on your camera, and you'd find a one-hour processing lab, and you'd go out all day and uh, come back uh, before the cutoff time. You'd fly into town, find your nearest one-hour lab, What's your cutoff time? And then you go out and uh, scout all day, make that cutoff time, and uh, uh, then you get the prints back. You'd have to lay them all out in these manila folders. You'd glue them on your pictures onto a manila folder, and you do these panorama shots to give them the 180 perspective and then the reverse and stuff like that. So there was kind of a, a formula mm-hmm. and you'd, you'd have all the sun direction measurements. Um, I would put what millimeter I shot this with all the, as much detail as you can. And you'd have these stack of folders at the end of the day that you'd FedEx out. And um, it'd either be at the end of the day or the next day or at the end of the job, you'd complete it and then send this out. And then, uh, and, and that's how it worked. So, you know, one hour photos, manila folders, glue sticks, uh, and hustle, you know, so you always had these deadlines. Yeah. Uh, but at at the same time, um, I remember when I first started working in film that, uh, You'd, you'd scout a location. Let's say you'd have a week to do all the location work in Northern California, let's say. Mm-hmm. Then after you sent all the material to the director, he'd look at it, narrow down the choices. They would fly up and scout, okay, right. uh, and with the producer and stuff like that. And then uh, it would either be – you'd have a whole nother week – you know, to work on permits, permissions, all that kind of stuff. And then you would shoot. Where towards the end now, or when I was finishing that part of it, it was like scout, scout, and they'd all show up and just start shooting. You know, it was, the turnaround was just that. You know, there was just more time. Uh, of course, I think I, think I started when they were still typing out letters, you know, um, the people in the production office would still be on typewriters, typing out letters for permission, insurance forms, you know, stuff like that. Now it's an app on your phone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But what a great learning tool to have. Well, it, 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 that, uh, you know, working in stills, you'd have, 
you'd have one photographer and he was just the boss. He did. He answered all the questions, make all the decisions, all of that. And, um, and you'd have, you know, the photographer, maybe a uh, stylist, makeup, ward, uh, wardrobe, uh, and a couple of assistants. And that was your team. And then you'd get into film and it was like, how, how, how do you deal with 50 people on the crew? You know, they were big back then. And, uh, so it, it learned how to work with departments, you know, learning what all these different departments do and arrangements and stuff like that. Uh, so it got me used to being around big things. Yeah. A big production. Cranes. Dollies. I learned what a dolly was. (laughs) When it showed up on set, were you surprised that's a dolly? (laughs) Well, no, no, no. I ended up figuring out right away after he asked me that question what a dolly was. I went, I I need to know what this is. So, uh, but yeah, I. uh, That's almost sweet uh, to be like, I have no idea what a dolly is. And it's kind of kind of a woman's name. So I'm very lost. (laughs) How big is her ass need to be to get her through this doorway? Like, what am I dealing with here? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. uh, So so how did that progress? Did you dive in and be like, Cake, what's this like behind the camera? Your frames move at 24 a second? (laughs) From there, you know, I did... I did really well being a location scout, location manager uh, when I was in California. Um, did you have good organizational that, skills? Yeah, I was really organized. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was organized. I, I didn't have any drama or any of that. I let all the people from L.A. have the drama. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, as as a matter of fact, I was in California. Uh, there were I was working with a lot of companies coming up from Los Angeles, and they were all part of this. You know, there's just a there's a drama that comes with it. Yes, you know? yes, and uh, and I was, you know, tell you truth man i was getting a little tired of working with these kind of people all, all the time i wasn't enjoying myself and stuff like that so uh i just got to the point where i again i, I need a different experience you know i just want to change things up and uh i've done a couple of jobs in uh texas uh let's say the last year i was in california and i was specifically doing them around Austin and the hill country. And I just fell in love with Austin. You know, it was, this was back in the early nineties. Okay. It was still a really small town. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, just nice and fun and the music and the lifestyle and everything. And I went, you know, this, this really is where I need to be. So I ended up uh, packing it up and moving to Austin. And I just thought, you know, if I can make it work in the film business here, great. If not, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out. But I'm more interested in a lifestyle right now than, you know, I was so caught up in this California film industry. It was, you know, so uh, 
Well, I mean, what? About I, this time, I'm, you're in your 30s, right? Yeah, I'm in my young 30s. Yeah, you so know? you've put in some time. You've done New York, yeah, California. It's time. a grind. You know, yeah. you, at some point, you need to decide, like, I'm all in for a career, the career I want, not yeah. not the yeah. jumping from lily pad to lily pad kind of thing. Yeah. And and I, I was also thinking, you know, I've I've really spent a lot of time in production and if I'm gonna do photography, now, now it's gonna now has to be the time before I get too stretched out. Right. And um uh, so I got to Austin and uh, and I ended up fortunately meeting this other director, uh Jeff Bednars and he ran a company out of Dallas. And so I started a little, a few jobs with him and soon enough, uh, uh, he, he always liked shooting with a second unit on his commercial photography. He was a big commercial director and, uh, he always liked shooting second unit and, uh, you know, just having another crew out there, uh, getting material and stuff like that. And his work was very lifestyle oriented, outdoorsy, uh, stuff like that. So, uh, one day we're, we're on location in a hotel room and, uh, the, uh, looking at locations and, and the producer, the, it's the producer, Jeff and myself. And she goes, okay, Jeff, uh, what, who do you want to use for a uh, second unit on this one? And he's like, Oh God. And he had, I guess he hadn't been happy with the second unit people he had used in the past. So the producer says, well, why don't you just have Mark shoot it? He's, he's got all the shots lined up for you. Cause I, I, I would pride myself on trying to come up with frames, you know, like here's your location and this is your angle. And these are my suggestions. And he loved it. You know, he just always loved the framing that I did for him. And so he was like, sure, what? let's just have, have you go out. And I was like a little bit in a panic mode because I, don't, I didn't know anything about operating cameras, film cameras, you know. And she's like, uh, don't worry about it. We'll get you a good AC and stuff like that. So uh, we went out and on that job, I started, I would shoot, with this old, uh, it was called the Mitchell freeze camera and it was a 35 millimeter Mitchell and, uh, just heavy, heavy metal boxy with the Mickey mouse ear, uh, film, uh, magazines. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it was just a beast, but all the settings on it, were very still camera oriented. You had a shutter speed, f stop, uh, uh, what else? Uh, and then it was just the interval time interval, right? So and you still had a meter everything. The the math yep. made sense, and yeah, I'd, I'd meter. So that I started shooting a lot of second unit, and then when Jeff would take a PSA, like a no money job or whatever he have me shoot it and so one thing just led to another and then eventually i think after a couple of years uh i became his main dp but i was at the same time i was also able 
to learn from the DPs he had as on the main camera and working side by side with them, you know, I mean, because a lot of times it was just another off angle of their setup. Right. So I was really in on, oh, I see why he's lighting it this way, because we got these two angles. And if we went over here, we wouldn't be, you know, the light would be, you know, so that kind of stuff. I was real fortunate to, uh, you know, be around these great TDs that he had, you know. Well, I'm sure at that point. Your your maturity and time of all the work you've put in, you were yeah. you could frame, you could see, you knew what a picture took to be, where it was. It yeah. was just learning this new little mechanical thing that made its frames move. That's all you right. needed to learn, and then you were already there because, as a photographer, you know what it takes to make a good photo, whether it's lighting yeah. the angle, the focal length, positioning your yeah. subject. Yeah. The, the motion stuff is just, okay, just don't touch it while it's moving. That's all. Don't bump the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the hardest part for me actually was uh, learning how to make the camera move. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I was, I, was in a, uh, I was used to getting my feet in the right spot and using the right lens to frame it and, and stuff like that and, and designing a great shot. But if you just did that and let the camera roll, it was boring. Right. So how to, how to make the camera move, how to put it in position, how to anticipate things. Uh, it was, it was just, um, there were more factors involved in a film camera. I I would say only because of the, the movement. Sure. I mean, all of a sudden, does this shot become a dolly move? Does it become a crane move? Does it become a, a, a walk and talk? You know, how, mm-hmm. what, are, what are the ways to approach this? Yeah. So. And, and at that point, you, I don't, people don't realize how big those cameras were. So it wasn't as easy as like, I oh, will just throw it on a dolly. I mean, you better make sure you have all the right stuff because that thing weighs 80 pounds. We're not talking yeah. about a two and a half pound little camera that we're putting on a slider like today. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it, it was, oh, a- no, they were, they were the big, big Berthas <laughs> and uh, yes. you know, I mean, it, they did have, there was a, a great system, uh, you know, on how to, uh, how to hold the camera. I mean, how to just hold the camera was a technique in itself that needed to be learned, you know, this three point access to keep it stable and stuff like that. There was, there was a whole learning curve on that, right. you know, and, uh, and, and that's, you know, some, sometimes, um, uh, you know, just a, a fantastic camera operator, which is a job in itself, would be so important because they they knew how to do it well. Mm-hmm. They could, you know, you can walk down a path and not have all this shakiness because they knew how to operate that way. Uh, but any, anyway, yeah, the cameras were a beast. Uh, you know, uh, I I was, I mean. You always kind of divided it up. You you could have uh, uh, for a lot of handheld work and stuff like that. They did make cameras that only used like 
hundred foot mags as opposed to the 400 or 1000. Right. So you could do these kind of run and gun type of things, but most of the time you could only afford to rent one camera and that was the what beast you, right. you were given. That's the part. That's so, the partner you brought to the party. That's who. Ex- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. When, when did you start to feel comfortable? Like you were like, okay, Mark's not having night sweats. Oh. <laughs> he, I, I feel like I could do this. Cause it's a different monster. Well, yeah. Oh my God. It, it really is a, a different monster. Uh, and, um, because if I threw a Hasselblad yeah. at you, you're like, oh yeah. Okay. No problem. I could change this 120 in the dark and I could put on that 80 and I'm good to go. But someone gives yeah. you an airy all of a sudden you're like, oh, blue. <laughs> fumbling <Yeah>. fingers. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, a couple of a years. Bit of it was just really trial and error. But I, I tell you what, Matt. The most important thing uh, that I learned, and I adopted this really early. It's not all about me. Okay, there are other people on the set that are professionals. It's their job to make all of this work. Listen to what they have to say. Uh, you know, uh, accept their input, uh, things like that, you know? I mean, the gaffer that you're working, you're in a situation and let's say you're working with ultra high speed cameras or something like that and you're into a flicker situation. Well, the gaffer might've just come off a job that had the same problem. So, you know, instead of me coming in all, I, 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 the sage on the stage, know it all. I didn't, I'm like, uh, you know, Mr. Gaffer, uh, what do we do in this situation? Yeah. You know? So, you know, you have, you have a lot of people that you're working with that can, offer up help. And I really did rely on that. And I wasn't afraid to, uh, ask for help either. You know, uh, like I said, it's not all about me and and it just doesn't rely on my back. Now I took all the credit, but no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So, and, and, you know, uh, the other thing is working in Texas, I have to say it's just, was one of the best film crews you could ever ask for. Everybody's just friendly, supportive. They get along, they make the day fun, all that. Whereas in other areas, you know, sometimes you get a little attitude. It's you know? it's funny you say Texas because it's kind of forgotten that, especially in those early 90s, everybody's like, you got to be yeah. in New York, you got to be in L.A. And everybody yeah. forgot about the Lone Star State. Like there's production right. companies everywhere yeah i mean if you wanted to make a living in utah you could have i mean it just depends on where you wanted to live yeah exactly and there was an uh there were high-end ad agencies there so they had you know reputable uh clients and uh you know uh high-end clients and stuff like that uh the tv show dallas had uh shot there Mm -hmm. you know so that that brought a lot of people up in their skill set, you know, by working in television and stuff like that. So it was a very capable uh, crew, 
there with, you know, tons of experience and all that. So, uh, we didn't lack anything in Texas. Um, Did, so. it was, when was the point where you're like, I'm all in on this moving photo thing? This, this 24 frames a second has kind of got me. Was there a point where you're like, uh, there's no turning back. I'm in. Yeah. What I, what I enjoyed mostly about it was the, uh, how, how, how you worked at the going, going to work every day. I liked working with a lot of people. I liked, uh, you know, I liked different departments. I, I liked, um, uh, I liked the bigness of it at mm-hmm. the time. Uh, you know, it was just, um, you could, you could just get a little bit more involved in, in things. And the productions tended to be bigger in the big, in the early days, there was more money to throw at everything. So, um, you know, things were big back, back then. And so I got caught up a lot. What was the cost of maybe like an average big shoot back then? What was, what was the spending cost? 300, 350 to 500. Yeah. I mean, some jobs were multi-million dollar jobs. Um, but those tended to be sure around the world and a lot of traveling yeah. and stuff. But I don't think back in those days with film, uh, you could really get out the door unless you had three, $400,000, right. I would think. Yeah. I don't, I don't, you know what? It, it's the old joke. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know how much things cost. They, the producers just tell me yes or no. <laughs> yes, you can have that. No, you can't have that. You're not but having I, that. I don't, know how, I don't know how much it costs. Yeah. You know. Nobody needs a speedboat. You don't need it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But for this shot. And, and, I, and I think producers like me because I wasn't one of those guys that had to have all my toys. You know, yeah. I was like, you know, if I have have one camera and a good range of lenses, I'm ready to go. Yeah. You know? Let's rock and roll. Uh, so, uh, and, and to tell you the truth, that's the way that director, uh, worked. I mean, when I, this guy that gave me the opportunity to be a second unit, uh, we, we, we have a 40 year history now. Uh, you know, I DP'd everything he did, practically everything he did for the last 20 years. So, um, you know, we were a team, you know, the Wyman stuff, all the Yeti stuff was with him and, uh, you know, it was just run and gun. Did this open up a creative side of you? You didn't know was there. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I, I could tell that I was better at spontaneity than I was at planning, you know, like, uh, you know, I could, I could go in on a technical scout or something like that, but I, I wasn't one of those guys that was like, this is exactly where the lamp needs to be. This is exactly where the camera's going to end up, put the track here and stuff like that. I, I was like, like with my crew, I would be let let's key light from the left side uh, let's attack it from this angle or something like that. Because what I found is when you show up to go shoot, 
it's all different. The date, the daytime is different. The weather's different. The, you just might have a better idea. You, uh, you've had a good night's sleep, you know, the something, you know, so I, I generally would tend to be a little loose unless of course we were on a stage and we had to do green screen or something yeah. like that. That's when it gets really, really precise. But in terms of handling a location, uh, you know, I, I was more into turning off lights than adding lights. You know, you, you could just turn off all the interior lights in a room with one good window and you could shoot all morning mm-hmm. that way. Yep. You know, it was just, those are the kind of things that, you know, I just found. Uh, but Matt, having said that, that only happened when we went to digital with the higher ISOs and, right. all, and faster lenses and stuff like that. So I'm, I will have to backtrack and say, you know, when I shot film, a lot of it had to be lit. You know? Okay. So you mentioned that monster. When did you start hearing about digital and this thing coming? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Uh, when the camera and the film stock became absolutely magic and perfect, perfect. That's when we went to digital. <laughs> it just, I mean, they finally got fifty-two nineteen, where you could do almost anything with it, and it was so beautiful. And the four thirty-five was just a dynamic camera, and it was just you—you you loved it. You just loved it. I I remember in my assistant days in New York, the Nikon F three and Kodachrome sixty four was just uh, a win win combination. You just loved shooting that all day long, and the four thirty five with fifty two nineteen stock, you know that latitude was fourteen stops or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was just great, great. And then all of a sudden, digital started rearing its head. And so we did a couple of jobs on it. And what did you, you know, think? Of course, ran, well, we, you know, at first we just ran out of media all the time because of <laughs> yes, yes. the director was still shooting like he had an infinite amount of film cans at his disposal, but we didn't know how much media we needed and stuff like that. So we'd run out of media or we'd have to wait for six hours for the tech to be able to download these cards or, you know, it was, it seemed impossible. And I thought to myself at the time, well, it's coming. I know that, but we're probably a few years away from it really, really happening in six months time. Nobody shot film. It was all digital. Isn't it happened that, that quickly. That is nuts. It happened that quickly, you know. And uh, and the other thing that was really frustrating in the beginning was you used to have to uh, call up the post house to see what format camera they were set up for. Like some post houses could could. Uh, take the for, uh, digital format of the red cameras where the other post houses could, couldn't do red. They could only do uh, Sony or mm-hmm. something like that. Right. So 
you had to choose your camera on your uh, on your production to house post house yeah. drive the job you know but that Jeez. that soon yeah, went that, away yeah that uh, went away but that was an yeah. issue but that was an issue for a, quite a number of jobs right you know so you you might have liked and learn all the peculiarities about a red camera and then your next job, you got to switch over to a Sony, you know, and go learn that menu and yes. you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> God. You know? And it's got a yeah. little bit of a different footprint and that means that the plate's a little different and then you got to hang the mat board. It's like, oh, everything was a little different. Right. Right. And, and your camera house you had to wait for them to get up to speed too. Right. You know, and your Digitech, right. he had to have enough hard drives and enough cards. And your, it's, it, there was this thing yeah. we, the, the back end was never thought of when digital, mm -hmm. it was, Ooh, magical box takes pictures. They're there. But what about yeah. the post-production work that literally now can happen on site? That was a whole nother monster. No one even thought that was coming. Exactly. I was exactly. on. I was on a shoot for yeah. the NBA where they literally ran out of media. Like they had no yeah. more, no more card space, no more hard drives, and they're trying to call Sammy's up. At you know, this is like Sunday after five, and there's nothing open, and people are yeah. panicking, and then they're making that decision. Okay, what do we erase off the drive to get this footage on so we can shoot the next card? And oh, yeah. you want to see people sweat and make their six figure salary. I mean, it was, there was yeah. a lot of screaming and hollering. Who didn't bring enough goddamn hard drives? Well, yeah. Like you yeah. said, nobody knew the damn director was going to keep rolling and rolling and rolling. It's just, yeah. Those early years were bonzo crazy. Yeah. And that was, a, you mentioned something interesting there, rolling and rolling and rolling. That was one of, what, once all of that digitalness got sorted out about, download times and enough cards on set and stuff like that. I tell you what, the camera never stopped rolling uh, during the day. You know, it would just go and go and go. And, and which was, it's good in one sense in this, you know, you, they're going to end up with more material than they need at the end of the day. But when I, when you used to shoot film, you know, the AD would go, okay, ready, and action. Everybody was paying attention because it was film. Yes. You know, so everybody was waiting. And when you heard that sound going through the camera, everybody was quiet and everybody was paying attention. Where now, you know, you you shoot, the, the camera's always rolling, so... You know, people are still going on with their jobs on the back of the set or getting on their phones and not paying attention, except for the directors looking at the monitor and myself on the eyepiece, you know. So there's pluses and minuses to all of that, you know. You know, you so, say that and you're right, because I remember when they, when, when they would say, all right, quiet on the set, and that meant something. Yeah. Oh, that meant something. Oh, yeah, we're it's we're about to go. We're we're done with the thirty minutes of rehearsal. We're we're going. Yeah, you know, and the actors yeah. come out and boom, everybody hits their mark, and here we go. And and you didn't waste film because it was you know a dollar a foot. Yeah, that's it, how much uh, yeah. you were burning okay, money. You just 
that was a two, you know, you just wasted $200 by not paying attention. Right. You know, so, um, that's, that was one of the differences. Yeah. Do you, but at, at the end of the day now, I think it's, it's, they've, they've finessed everything where it's a, it's a pretty well oiled machine. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm sure for a lot of people on the back end of, of that, uh, you know, it's, it was really comforting to me at the end of the day to know I got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause oh, I've yeah. seen it in the monitor. I've been staring at it all day. I know I got it. Whereas on the film days, you, you just never got a good night's sleep until you heard back from the neg report that everything was fine. And so you get up at four o'clock in the morning, call, call the, uh, Film processing lab. How'd we do? Everything looked great. No scratches. Yeah. Ah, oh, thank you. Yeah. Two more hours of sleep. Yeah. You're not back focused by six inches. The eyes are sharp. Right? Yeah. Or that. Yeah. yeah. How many times? Yeah. That, yeah. That, that ear's tack sharp. Is that what you were looking for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, because we're so, not doing a hearing aid ad. So thanks a lot. Yeah. We'll reshoot that. Yeah. It's yeah. um, there 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 is a a comforting moment to know like, okay, we nailed it. People. Thank you. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. Wrap it up. We're moving on. We can tear this set down. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That, that's the other thing you had to, you couldn't break set until you got the camera report Mm -hmm. uh, saying that everything was fine. So that's, it saved a lot of money on that end and uh, you know, for production in terms of that. And uh, also it just, you know, uh, it gives you, it's just calm, calm, more calm. When we were shooting film, we'd have video, but the video was so bad. Yeah. yeah uh, you know, it was those combo eights and everything was so contrasty or black and white. Right. And, you know, so the client never walked away a hundred percent confident or anybody until they Saw the dailies. The dailies, yeah. You know, they could go into the post house and look at dailies. So uh, it was just interesting. Were were you fully in, or how? Where were you still like dabbling in photography? Did you kind of jump back and forth a little bit through the nineties, or I, I uh, not so much in the nineties, but in two thousand, um, I w- I would always have these. Especially uh, the director Jeff, we we would do a lot of real people uh, kind of lifestyle commercials or like the Salvation Army mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I started inter- introducing still photography as portraiture within those spots. So uh, in that sense, I always had uh, photography with me. So if the opportunity arised, uh, I could do a nice portrait uh, of somebody or um, or I could use still photography techniques in, in that. I remember a series for State Farm where we would start out of a portrait of our person and I, I built like this Black Mariah backdrop were, you know, that I would do for a portrait outdoors, 
and it just worked so well in the film part of it because it would almost start like a still frame mm-hmm. and then grow into a live picture, the guy introducing himself or something like that. So I always try to keep those still elements uh, only because it, that's what my background was. Right. You know, always trying to do that. Did you find a, a, a maturity level? as you went on like into like those two thousands and you're doing those portraiture works where now you've had so many years behind you, your 10,000 hours are in. Did you feel yeah, more, right. did you feel more of like a, not a polished photographer, but a maturity, like you could just go about and manipulate your subject to give you exactly what you wanted. Yeah, there was, um, there was a little bit more, uh, freedom to kind of take chances I guess with a, a certain confidence level that it, I, if we're good, it, it is going to be a little more success, I think, than not by taking this chance. We're better off taking this chance because I, because we've been successful right. as opposed to failing. So in those instances, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I would, I, I would not worry about being put in a bad location. Uh, I could generally light or lens my way out Mm -hmm. of a situation. So I had that kind of a confidence. Right. Cause Uh, early, early Mark wouldn't have known that he wouldn't have known like, Oh, not the 50 go to the one thirty five or do this, do that. Like those things that you get in the sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, even by, you know, uh, deciding on what uh, tea stop to use, mm-hmm. you know, uh, don't worry about that background. I'll shoot it wide open. Uh, you know, we don't have time to dress it. I'll just shoot it wide open. Uh, let's go. Yeah. You know, that kind of kind of stuff. Yeah. So you could, you could there was more of an ar- arsenal later on to, pull something out, uh, you know, shoot from the hip. Right. So to speak. Yeah. It's, I mean, I noticed it at some point in my career where you're just kind of go, Oh, I have, don't want to say, Oh, I figured it all out, but I didn't go in going, Oh my God, I'm going to have to wing this. Here I go. It's like, you knew you're like, you could fall back on all that experience. Either you've seen somebody do it or, you know, you've done it a million times now. And you're not even thinking yeah. about it. You're just like, no, guys. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. We're done. And then you look around, yeah. and the young crew who used to be you is going, "Wow, that guy's brilliant." <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I I do have to give credit where credit is due. I mean, Jeff Bednar's. I he's just a genius when it comes to directing, and uh, he's intense. I will say, uh, but he always always not only pushed himself or not only pushed me and the crew to do things different, but he also pushed himself. And, uh, so those expectations were always there. We, you know, walk into a, yet another house in a neighborhood and it's like, how are we going to do this different, Mark? You know, what are we going to do different? And, um, so you'd, you'd have to come up with something, you know, it, it would it wouldn't be earth changing. We wouldn't change the dynamics of commercials or anything right. like that. But 
it was like, ah, oh, it's just a little different this time. Right. You know? So there was always that. And sometimes it can you be know? movement, framing, just a little different lighting. And all of a sudden, oh yeah, okay. We've, we've pivoted a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and yeah. lighting, that was one thing I wanted to bring up. I mean, talk about another thing okay. that's changed. Holy crap. Has lighting oh changed? God. Oh, yeah. Hello, LEDs. I mean, you were talking about a yeah. set being 110 degrees. Now it's, it's normal. Yeah. And color temperature. Yeah. What do you want? I'll give it to you in, in one <laughs> increment at a time. I mean, when that yeah. came about, was that something that brought a tear to your eye? It, it was pretty, pretty good because, uh, you know, I never liked waiting around to set up lights and all that kind of stuff. Oh, it's a downer. You know, when you get on set, you just, you just want to, let's just get a camera and start shooting something. And, um, but you know, the, the film stocks just required the lights and they were always big and they were always hot and stuff like that. So, um, it, and also, uh, you know, Jeff, Jeff didn't want to wait for lights either, you know? So things just started like getting placed by windows and, and stuff like that to just kind of quickly get a shot but then all of a sudden you're locked into that look like why is all your stuff looking like it's shot near a window so by the introduction of you know these smaller led lights and stuff like that you could start to reintroduce those quicker and uh, the things totally 180 degree change for me when the uh, tube lights came out yes and those um my God, the those kino flows quality of the light. Well, it, it started with the kino flows, but I mean just those singular okay. tubes. Now. Yeah. Well, we used to actually pull apart those kino flows <laughs> and just you know, uh, what are they cannibalize, cannibalize them? It? Just, <laughs> I just need one tube, okay? Yeah. And. Um, and I, I ended up just liking that look. You know, I, I loved it when a guy would just, uh, we called it light on a stick, and we would take one yeah. of those Kino tubes, put it on the end of one of those broom poles, and walk around. And if I needed something from the left, the guy would just hold it to the, to the left. If I needed it on the right, you know, that kind of thing. It was so quick and so, and it was a beautiful light. It wasn't, uh, you know, just settling for this, it was, it was actually a really good light. Um, I, I took a, um, I forget the brand. It came in a six tube kit or something like that. I had three big long ones, three medium, three six inch tubes. And I went to Asia and that's all I took. And I felt totally 100% comfortable with that going there with just that i knew i could do anything right. with it so i was on a set um, and i was made a huge difference oh yeah no i was on a set with on a film set and i was having this debate with the cameraman and the lighting guy who when you get those two together it's always fun and i said mm -hmm. okay which one was more revolutionary the digital camera which we're working with today or the lighting we're working with today and boy did i walk away with a with a mongoose and a and a snake going at each other because yeah. they both agree it's their light, their digital camera. But I almost 
want to say the light. And I don't know if that's the photographer in me still in love with the light, but the things I can do, I could take an LED light like this big and place it in a car or on a this or a that, and you can light yeah. up things you can never have thought of before 20 years ago. Never. That's true. That's true. But I don't think those lights would have been invented unless the camera, right? ISO sensitivity or the chip could handle that just small amount of light. Right. Yeah, it's that so chicken and the egg, yeah. I, this isn't the definitive answer to the <laughs> argument. That's just what comes off of the top of my this head. This is just but, what Mark uh, says. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm but, not sure we... You know, like, but I, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing though. Cause you could be on a set. I'm sure you've been there. And the guy goes, we need just a little bit more Calvin. Just kick it up to up to, you know, warm and, boop, boop, oh, and, sure. and you're like, Oh wow. I mean, I was on a set where literally they had five lighting sets on the set and a flip of a switch. He could just go, boom, it's morning, boom, it's evening, boom. It's, and you know, we're in this you know, bedroom and he's just boom, 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 boom. And you're just like, holy crap. And and, and you couldn't see any of the lights. That was the amazing thing. Well, that was the other thing. Yeah. It's, you know, they're, they're hidden or they blend into, uh, they can blend into a set, you know, the tube lights blend in and uh, you don't feel the heat. You don't feel the heat uh, was a big thing. I was on a set where, a, a extra had a had a light LED light on his chest. His camera was to back, but he lit the the actor in his walk in sure. and then walked away. And you're like, oh, that could have never happened. The guy's chest would have been on fire. <laughs> exactly. Or he would have had to wear a white shirt and bounce light off a little yeah. to get that same, you know. But yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. I know. It's crazy. It's, aw- it's awesome, yeah. though. It's really. It really is. To, it really is. To work nowadays and be like, oh, yeah, I could do anything. I mean, it's it's yeah. on me to screw this up because there's nothing I can't do. My lenses are yeah. endless. My ISO, my my stops. I mean, I could shoot 20, 20 stops all over the place. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So it's it's really great. Yeah, that that part of it has has all been. Uh, uh, really, really good. You know, I, I, I love all the, the evolution of the technique that's coming. Uh, you know, even uh, these crazy backgrounds that you're hearing about these, uh, uh, God, what it's um, uh, the, the, the giant digital the, boards. They just, yeah, they turn on the and led off. screen yeah. and there's a name for it. I know. Uh, you're t- yeah. I just heard about it, but you project this 3d landscape onto it. And, uh, as the camera moves, it'll move, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. So you're just dialing in whatever you want. I mean, you got to learn how to shoot against that. Right. You know, uh, but at the same time, now that's coming in and, uh, and they're lighting with those effects and, uh, stuff. It, It can just start to look more realistic, you know, what was you know, one of your favorite jobs so, during your time? What was one that you look back now and go, man, I can't believe they paid us to do that. That was so much fun. Uh, I would, 
I, I would have to say all of the Yeti jobs because not only was it Wyman, but we did Jim Shockey. Yes. Uh, he's a famous game hunter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we did Flip. We did a lot of rodeo stuff. Uh, big Bulls in Texas. Uh, or that was Oklahoma, actually. But uh, that kind of stuff was all always my favorite but the best uh i guess the best job i'm trying to think it it probably would have had to have been exxon mobile where we we went and ended up going all the way to chad africa to uh shoot there and that was just a trippy trippy experience wow um you know and oh the other thing was uh, we were shooting their oil platforms uh, like out in North Atlantic. So we, we were doing helicopter mounts and hanging out the side of the helicopters to film their oil platforms and, you know, just crazy ass stuff like that. Uh, I don't know if you remember the old Tyler mounts, they called them, where they you'd, you'd be on the side. It, most of the time it was like a... Uh, uh, God, I haven't used a helicopter in so long. <laughs> uh, I forget what they they called them, but anyway, you had the side door and you had a uh, this Tyler mount, and it was a platform that was mounted to the bottom of the floor in the helicopter. And when it came time to shoot, you'd slide the door open and you'd push out. Uh, you slide out on this mount where the camera was already mounted okay and you had these like gunner handles on on your for zoom and shoot and stuff like that and you're literally like gunning out the side of the helicopter of these things and remember one this job uh we're out in the north atlantic and we were in this like super puma helicopter money was no object for exxon mobile you know so they had this like delta force helicopter and the producer had taken all the seats out of it so we had this helicopter mount and so we fly out there it's about an hour hour and a half flight to the platform and the guy goes okay we're here get ready to shoot so slide open the door and i go out uh, on this mount and I'm trying to hold on to the camera and the director is looking at his monitor and he's like, pan left, pan left. And I, I say to him, I can't, the helicopter blades are sucking me out. It was, they were just so, there was such a wind force out there that it was literally just, sweeping the camera away but i was all mounted in and safe right yeah but i I could hardly pan the propellers were just so forceful uh it was hilarious but you have to let the helicopter do all the work so there shouldn't have been a lot of panning anyway but it it was just crazy like that well oh so when you went to chad is that where you took some of the portraits that are on your website when you're in chad africa yes correct Yeah. yeah So we were we were in the it was it was a story about their malaria prevention work 
So it started in the labs in Boston, Mass, and stuff like that. And then we went all the way to Chad, where they would uh, distribute these mosquito and malaria prevention for all of their workers who were working on the pipeline. Um, it says yeah. you shot it on a Leica M6 on Tri-X. Correct. Wow. That's oh, uh, yeah. you're, you were you were working hard, man. You were getting your National <laughs> Geographic roots on. I told you, I, I'm just like I fancy myself one of these reportage <laughs> photographers. Your your inner no, James Knockway was going full force there. <laughs> yeah, oh, I I love the old cameras. I have a, a like M6. I have a collection of Hasselblad still. Uh, four by five. Uh, I, I still like shooting film. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean that M6, that's a, that's a treasure. You can't, go, oh, you can't. I still, I still have it. Yeah. I, I still have it. You can't go. I'll never get rid of it. Yeah. So when, when were you shocked by that bird in the sky, the drone? That's another thing that came into play for the man with the stills and the video, the drone camera. Did you, did you, was that something when you well, saw, you were like, what the hell? Yeah, the drones came, they they came in pretty quickly. Of course, I, I just thought it was really, really cool. The first drones that I worked with were those monster beasts. And yeah. the, the only operators that you could get were the hobbyists, the enthusiasts the ones who were uh, uh, in the sporting events of racing, yeah, the obstacle courses or speed or stuff like that. And, and, you know, they would have like six or eight props on them. You had to give them a 25 foot radius and takeoff and all this kind of stuff. And they were heavy and cumbersome and, and the batteries went out, so quickly and they would never perform in bad weather and you know, stuff like that. So they would show up on rare occasion and they would have a very, uh, uh, specific use on a commercial. But then when they started getting smaller and lighter, uh, and we ended up, uh, uh, having a very, very good drone operator with us, Jimmy Chappie. Um, and he became really highly skilled at, at this. And he got into the smaller drone stuff um, and became really good that we shot one commercial with, you know, let's say the drone was going to be setting camera work, mm-hmm. ended up, getting everything on the commercial because he, he was so good and the client just loved seeing his locations from up above. Right. It didn't matter what we shot down below. He just loved seeing it up above. So everything was from the drone. I went, oh God. You Even guys and your sticks. Killers. <laughs> yeah. So you and your I dolly. Job killers, you know. But we started getting really creative with it. We could do like things like uh, starting out inside an interior of a location and be able to pull back outside 
mm-hmm. he would take over the drone. You know, I, I, I would hold it, let's say, right. get all the material inside, and then it'd be small enough and, you know, I'd have a helmet on or something like that. But then as I raise it, he'd start it up and then just take it from me and get these beautiful exterior aerials all in one shot. So that it it added another element to the motion and stuff like that. But yeah, they'll be around for like forever. Yeah. It's um I got a buddy that's a drone professor here at in Fullerton and, and the I help him with a drone uh, film festival and the stuff I've seen over the last five years, just the five years increments. It's unbelievable. Yeah. These, these kids yeah. are making stuff that, I mean, I saw a skateboard, just, you know, skateboard videos have been skateboard videos for years, but now they're doing it on the drone and it's like, holy crap, dude, kids doing a kick, uh, kick flip and the drones going in between the board as he's going by. And you're like, yeah. and you're like, you've only got like two inches in between. And it's like, holy crap. And you're like, they must be using the goggles or something. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, I, I've seen some amazing things on, on that. But uh, yeah, you know, the more the merrier. Yeah. The quality is great, and uh, it's, it's you know an, the, qual- it's an the video quality wasn't wasn't great in the beginning, but now it's like you know. Oh yeah, now they're dragging cool. reds around, so it's totally fine. Yeah. Right. Jesus. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when did you start to feel like? you were going to slow down. Like it was, it was getting near the time for Mark to retire. Yeah. Um, well, you know, again, it's not like really, really retiring, but, uh, I, I wanted, I always wanted a, like a second career at this in, in the, in the shooting, shooting yeah. still, but I wanted to do something else. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't as enthusiastic about the travel anymore. It was getting to be, you know, being on an airplane now is a lot different than what it used to be. Mm-hmm. It used to be quite an adventure to the whole process, getting to the airport, getting on an airplane, landing and stuff like that. Now it's just, it's a it's a cattle drive at the airport, all all that. Uh, so that ha- you know, I wasn't enjoying that part. Uh, just living in hotels all the time, uh, one commercial after another. The but the I'm not necessarily saying I have to have big budgets and to work, but budgets would get really really small. You were you were asked starting to be asked to do a, uh, a a lot more than what you should be doing in a sense taking on more roles uh, that other people used to do. Um, uh, you know, I, the main thing was, can I wake up every morning feeling the same way I did? about shooting 20 years ago is today. And if the answer is no, not really, I'm just getting a paycheck. Uh, then, you know, maybe it's time, you know, it's not fair to the people you're with. It's, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I just, you know, I, I, 
So I picked Ecuador because of the cost of living and the lifestyle. I grew up in South America my, when uh, my father was stationed there. So okay. I had a, a passion for South America as a place. And Where was he stationed in South America? Bolivia and okay. uh, Peru. Interesting. So, yeah. He worked at the embassies. There, okay. there wasn't a military base right, there right. or anything like that. He worked at the embassy. So that's. That's how we got there. But um, so anyway, I decided to go to Ecuador and I thought, you know, let me let me go down there. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll probably get bored not doing anything, come back to the <laughs> States and take that occasional job. But I got down there and it was like I, I, I didn't want to go back. I wasn't there wasn't anything really pulling me back, you know, missing this job, missing that job. Uh, I was just having fun starting up all these new things there. I mean, I know? looked up the town you live in and it's humble. It's gorgeous. Oh, it's yeah. It's, it's, there's 450,000 people. I think it's a world heritage site city. So there's a lot of, uh, great architecture. Oh, there's four rivers that run through it. You're surrounded by mountains. You know, I, I go mountain biking. Um, You're not that far you from know. the ocean, too. Uh, it's about four hours, four hour drive to the Pacific. Okay. And it's less to the Amazon. I'm in this, what they call the Sierras, which is the mountains. <laughs> right. So that's where the Andes are. And uh, so it, it'd be like living in Telluride, I think, something like that. 8,500 feet altitude, so it's not, not, but not so high where, uh, you know, you you feel it a little bit, but it's not debilitating. Yeah, but I know? bet when you come back to sea level, you feel like a, a super athlete. <laughs> uh, you know, one way or the other, I haven't felt that different yet. Okay. You know? I would, I would the die. only the, when you first, like, we first went to Quito, and that's 10,000 feet, and that's where you really start to feel it, you know, in that. And I was huffing and puffing it once, one day going up the street, uh, you know, and I finally stopped and had to catch my breath. And I look over, and there's this, like, 100-year-old Inca woman just marching right past me like it's, you know, just a stroll in the park for her. But she patted you on the butt as she walked by you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you so, young uh, yipper snapper. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. So I, I just got lucky. I found myself in a really good situation down there with a really uh, great group of young Ecuadorians. Uh, they're enthusiastic about film photography. So that gets me jazz. It's oh, a cool. healthy uh, photo community. There's a lot of photographers down there, a lot of artists. Uh, everybody supports each other, it seems like. Uh, I've only been down there 10 months now. Okay. And uh, uh, it just seems, you know, the way of life is nice and easy. And, you know, uh, doesn't the cost of living is really, really How's the language barrier? Well, uh, you know, traveling around the world, most people 
know a little bit of English Mm -hmm. and it's the same down there. So they'll study a little English in school. So everybody has a little bit of knowledge of English, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, trying to learn as fast as I can, uh, being down there. Uh, I know a little bit, I can go to the market, I can order from a restaurant, I can kind of tell what's going on in a conversation, but I, 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 I feel like, you know, by not knowing a language, you don't get the sense of humor, you don't get the, right. the, the real nuances of what the country's about and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm eager to learn. So you're, you're, uh, you're diving in both feet trying to get I'm, that. I'm diving in both feet for sure. <laughs> I yeah. gotta believe it's gotta well, help being there. You're right. You're immersed in it. And so you're going to have no choice, but to pick this up to be a member. Yeah. Well, I, I, we, we have a condo there in, in the city, but uh, my girlfriend talked me into um uh, renting this space in one of those old patrimonial houses that are downtown centro. So I'm writing, I go down every day. I'm right in the heart of it. Uh, uh, there's a lab right there. That's where the gallery is where I have my show. So I have a little office there with my printer and computer and I'm there with all the people that kind of come in and out of the facility to get their film process or there's a cafe there. So they, they, you know, come in and get a coffee. So yeah, I try and keep myself involved in it every day. So I'm not just sitting at ha- at home trying to find American channels on right. TV, you know, <laughs> like I hear a lot of people go down there to retire just to do that. But no, I want to, I want to be a part of it. Yeah. Especially if you got something to offer the young community and, and right. guide them and give them some experience and lay it on them. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're, they're so interested, you know, and they're so amazed uh, just to have a, a different, somebody with a different experience. Right. You know, a, a different eye, so, the way you look yeah. at things. Yeah, it, exactly. So if somebody's so, wandering around Ecuador, they should stop by and see the gallery. They should. <laughs> they should. Where are they going to find it? Where do they got to go? New. <laughs> Well, it, it's the house is the house they call it Icaro House. The name of the gallery. Let me see if I can remember. Is because it's brand new. It's Thalia, T H A L I A, is the name of the gallery. Anyway, it's on Grand Columbia in Cuenca, uh, and the cross street is Tarki. Okay. Twelve twenty-five Grand Columbia at Tarkey in Cuenca. Boy, when you get home, there's going to be a line out front. Wait, people waiting to get Actually, in. Actually, the show just ended on this trip. Oh, the show ended, it. so uh, it was something I got. I ended up. It was my. This is amazing. Uh, everything seems to be coming together. It was my first ever photography show. Uh, it was their first ever gallery. This is like my first interview. Serious. <laughs> it's all happening. This is the first time I've talked for more than an hour straight, I think. <laughs> a lot of firsts going on in my life. What did you show uh, in the gallery? What was what did you show? What did you present? Uh we did a story for uh the Salvation Army in Haiti a couple years after the earthquake. 
the Salvation Army had started a program of offering people uh, in need small business loans to either jumpstart their business or restart or get a little ahead. And that, that could mean like somebody wanted to just start a coffee roasting company or a mechanic shop teaching apprentice and stuff like that. So we went down there to tell that story. And uh, at that point, uh, I always carried a camera around with me. And we incorporated stills into that documentary. So I came back with a what I thought was a pretty strong series of pictures so i showed that um wow. so i showed the haiti stuff that's cool sorry my earplugs are gonna it's all right we're almost done what i what yeah, I, what i, I want you. what i want you to leave me with is some advice for some students what what advice would you give people i always say show up early and stay late <laughs> i mean you know, I mean, you, you just got to be in it and uh, be a part of it. Be aware of your surroundings. Uh, no, for, for me, the biggest thing was uh, coming, really telling myself, listen, it's not all about me. This job is not going to fall short just because of me. So if I, if I, stick with the team, we're all going to be a success. If I believe in the people I'm working with, we're going to be successful. And it, it's always turned out to be that way. That's awesome. That's great advice. Yeah. That's great advice. Yeah. Well, Mark, I can't thank you enough for your time. I, I've been an admirer of your work. I'm glad we were able to connect. This is awesome. I mean, you, you've, you've made some unbelievable images and, and you still are. And, I, and I'm glad you're still banging away doing it, man. It's, even if you're in South America. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you don't have to, uh, you don't have to be in the middle of everything, you know, to, to do your thing. Uh, I've, I've have found mo more inspiration down there than anything I was Finding when I the last few years I was living in Austin. Oh, you yeah. know it's got to be just, a... you know if you if you keep things new and fresh and stuff like that, you can't you know you can't help but uh, uh, be inspired right. all the time. You know, right? Well, I might be in Peru in June, so I'm going to give you a call because we're working on a project. Well, to... we're next door yeah. neighbors, but we're, we're not that close. <laughs> <laughs> but if I need a DP, I know I know a guy on the continent. <laughs> you can call me. Yeah, you might be able to pull me out of retirement. <laughs> it's it's just a little puddle jumper away, right? It can't be that right, far, right? Yeah, and it can't be Union anymore. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'm it. retired from the Union. Ah, good, good. Hey, Mark, yeah. you keep keep working, man. Keep doing your stuff. Where can people find your work if they want to follow you? Are, are you pretty active on Instagram? I'm active on Instagram. I'm at Mark Thomas DP. Okay. At uh, how does how does that? No, it's Mark yeah, Thomas just, DP. Right? Yeah, Mark Thomas DP. Because MarkThompson.com is oh, your website. At, at Mark Thomas DP. Right. That's the Instagram one, and my website is MarkMThomas.com. Okay. Don't forget the middle initial. Right. Uh, Mark M Thomas. 
com, and I got to update my website, but uh, the in- Instagram is usually pretty current. Yeah, I bet you got some beautiful stuff from that country. That is a gorgeous place you're at, you lucky dog. Yeah, it's, it's pretty nice. You're the best. Thank you so much for this, man. I do absolutely appreciate it. Great talking to you, Matt. All right. Uh, I, I'll... Uh, any, everybody should do this. It's been great talking to you. Oh, all right. I'm going to have everybody on. Well, I, I was going to say, I, I would encourage anybody you're thinking about, I would encourage them to talk to you. It's been a pleasure. All right. Well, I'm going to have you run my PR firm then. Yeah, okay. Awesome. All right. Thank you, man. Take care. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Mark. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the like button and become a subscriber to the podcast. You can follow the Just a Good Conversation podcast on Instagram, and you can find all of our past shows on the website at justagoodconversation.com. Thank you for listening.